listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Steve Crambeck is a multi-award-winning Omaha-based actor who was last seen at the Omaha Community Playhouse as Shrek in Shrek the Musical. Other Playhouse credits include Centipede in James and the Giant Peach, Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast, Leo Bloom in The Producers, Buddy Fiddler and Irwin S. Irving in City of Angels, The Duke, Dr. Carrasco, Knight of Mirrors, Barber, and Horse in Man of La Mancha, Bob Cratchit in A Christmas Carol, Victor von Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein, Emmett Forrest in Legally Blonde, Rick Taylor in Batboy the Musical, and Joseph Wiskowski in Biloxi Blues. He was also seen as Doug Simon in Gutenberg the Musical with The Candy Project, and Freddie Benson in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at Bellevue Little Theater. Steve Crambeck, welcome to the Green Room. Thank you. Thank you, Five. <laughs> you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't even had all of that scotch yet that you're drinking. I know. So, I'm a lightweight, too, though. So. Lightweight. Strap but, in, folks. Exactly. But you are drinking yours neat. I have a whole bunch of ice in mine. <laughs> Steve, as any good actor knows, whenever you do a character, you have to have a beginning. Here's my question to you. Where are you from originally? Born and raised here in Omaha, Nebraska. Are your folks still here? My folks are still here. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have an older brother, six years older than me, an older sister who's four years older than me, and a younger sister who is two years younger than me. And are they all still here? My brother has moved the farthest away to Lincoln, but my two sisters are still here in town. Where did you go to grade school? I went to grade school at Ackerman Elementary. I was an Ackerman Uh All-Star. If you drive past it on 156th and Q. It's really close by where I live. You will see a very large tree in like a garden area. When I was a wee tot, they planted that garden. So I got to see that tree as a baby. And now I feel insanely old as it's like towering to the sky. I was like, oh boy, that's how old I am. (laughs) Good gravy. Did you participate in any theater when you were in grade school? Not. Not like theater, theater, right? They have the grade school pageants and stuff. I do remember that I was the letter Z. And so my costume, I had a giant Z on my chest. It it went from like neck to mid thigh. And I had zippers all over myself. That was my brilliant self-costuming. Z is for zipper. It was the first embarrassing moment on stage because we each had our own music And they started to play the K music and I got up to walk around and, you know, young, an idiot from a young age, right? (laughs) I'm walking around and I was like, oh my God, that's not my music. And I got so embarrassed and I sat down and then my music came on later and I was like, okay, 
now it's now it's really me and it was just very awkward <laughs> and i've never gotten any less awkward in my life how old were you when you were the letter z that i couldn't tell you how old am i now i, I don't know. i have to figure it out i'm 36 now but i just went through this where i was like debbie how old am i i'm turning what okay all right when i was when i was in grade school my very first role was a pig on noah's ark very nice i think so do you have a little nose I, little no tail. it was just it was just like a little cutout oh you know, sure for my face so it just you know just went around and somewhere in this house is a old <laughs> polaroid picture of me <laughs> love it as a pig on noah's ark i don't so. think my z debut was documented yeah <laughs> so you went to ackerman and then where did you attend middle school anderson i was an anderson wolverine any plays that you did at Anderson? I Yes, that was actually my first introduction to theater. We had a short, we called it a one act, but it was really like a long scene. And I wish I could remember what it was called. The only thing I remember is my character name. I played a guy named Jasper Murgatroyd. And I don't even quite remember the plot, but it involved me changing into a French maid's outfit with a wig. And being chased around a pirate ship by the captain, who was uh, very amorously motivated to catch me. <laughs> and that was played by a female classmate dressed up as a male pirate captain with a fake beard and eye patch. It was something. I, I'll never forget. It was a, like a, a closet. The set was very sparse you know it wasn't even really a set but we had like a changing room where i would change out of my suit and tie and into this french made outfit and i i will never forget the moment that i stepped out and the whole room erupted in laughter and that was that was when the cocaine took hold i i have not been able to shake that addiction ever since you did a couple of plays at anderson and then where did you go to high school? I went to Millard South. Now, did you participate in all the productions at Millard South? Very heavily. I missed being cast in only one show while I was there. The first show I auditioned for was Meet Me in St. Louis, and I didn't get it. And I, I don't remember this, but my drama teacher later told the story that I came up to her after the show and introduced myself. You know, hello, Miss Munger at the time. My name's Steve Crambeck, and uh, you didn't cast me in this show, but you're going to cast me in the rest of the shows, and I'm going to be a big part of your department here. And I'm like, Is that Rob wow. Baker's wife? Yes. I'm like, the ball's on that kid. Yeah. And I was like, no way, I did not. She's like, I would not make this up. And true enough, every show since then, I was either cast in or a part of like tech backstage. I jumped in. Did you participate in anything else besides the plays? Like, were you in oh, show choir? Uber or? nerd, yes. Yeah? Band, show choir, choir classes, theater, theater classes, the, the student theater organization. We called it play production, play pro. But you had, you know, only upperclassmen were allowed for play pro. So I had to wait. I had to bide my time. What kind of influence did Miss Munger have on you as a... Well, she's Robin Baker now. Yes. And I get to call her Robin. Once you graduate, you can, you can call her Robin. Shout out to you, Robin Baker, my second mother. I love her to death. I'll remember her forever. She instilled such a love 
of theater and I can't say enough good things about her. She's just amazing. What didn't she have? Like, like high school is your most formative years and like having her, she, I mean, you spend so much time rehearsing after school. She was my second mother, you know, all sorts of, of life lessons and, and theater experiences. She's, she taught you, you know, you can't skate by, you gotta, you gotta do the work and, and she would let you pass or fail on your own merits and, and talk to you about it afterwards and be like, this is why you're an idiot or, or here's why you did really well. And I see the growth that you've done. And she's just, I, she's just a fantastic teacher. She's still teaching at Millard South because she's amazing at it. They should never, ever let her go. That's I love you, Mrs. Baker. So you graduate from Millard South in what year? In the year 2000. That's an old Conan O'Brien sketch. It is. Sorry, sorry, everyone. Oh, you, you, were, you caught it. I did. I, in the year 2000. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Where'd you go to college? Went to college at UNO. Did not go to college for theater. I made the decision. Uh, so I do not have a lot of self-confidence. I may come across as fairly confident, but I am a, a tightly knit ball of self-doubt. And so I knew I couldn't handle the professional theater life. I, you know, you, you have to face 20 rejections before you get a shitty job. You know, you're constantly having to plan ahead. I'm terrible at plans. Ask my children and my wife. My plans are terrible. So like I knew I couldn't be on top of my contracts. I knew I couldn't face the rejections or just not getting a role because I didn't look right. You know, or, you know, which is a, a thing like, that's very real. You could be talented to the moon, but if you don't look the part, you're not getting it. So I knew I couldn't handle that. So I was like, all right, well, that and I knew I wanted a family. So I was like, I'll go into technology, whatever that means, and I'll get a stable job, pay for everything that my family will need. So I entered the new college of IS&T at UNO, I got, uh, I started off as a computer engineer, but did not enjoy that. So then I went to just the generic management of information systems, blah, blah, blah. It's the dumb kids tech degree, right? And I got exposed to the breadth of the IT world and a little of this, little of that. And then I got, I was very fortunate to get an internship while in college and get a job right out of college. So I didn't ever have to that, although I'm very fortunate, but I did miss that time where you get to get away, you know, like, mm-hmm. all right, I finished college. I'm going to go backpack in Europe or I'm going to go, you know. I didn't do that either. Yeah, but I, I kind of regret not taking that time. Although, you know, I'm very fortunate to have had employment. Well, I think when you kick the kids out, then you and Debbie can maybe go backpacking through Europe. Yeah. Yeah, if they keep behaving the way they are, we'll kick them out sooner <laughs> rather than later. Love you, girls. Exactly. No, they're the sweetest. So you graduate, you get a regular day job, which, you know, I think sometimes people who aren't actively involved in the theater community don't necessarily understand that for, for the majority of people in town, people they see at the Playhouse, the Blue Barn, you know, all of these places that 
everybody has like a regular day job unless they're like employed by the theater, you know, like, mm-hmm. for, I mean, for example, you know, when you have your um, designers at the playhouse, like Jim Othus and John Gibalisco, and they are on staff right. at the playhouse. But when it comes to the productions, for the most part, the actors, some of the tech crew and stuff are, it's a volunteer. And so you work day jobs and then, you work your schedule around, you know, you work eight to five, nine to five, whatever it is. You come home, you barely have enough time to get something to eat and you have to be to rehearsal by six thirty, and then rehearsal, you know, goes until 10 o'clock, you know, sometimes 1030 for an actor. And then you have to figure out when during that time I'm going to memorize my lines and <laughs> come up with a backstory for my characters. Sure. And, and things like that. So as, uh, you I know, mean, you say it like that and it sounds crazy, but it does. Everyone, it? everyone listening gets it. I've- exactly. Everybody, everybody gets it. So for though, for those people who, who have not experienced that, we'll just take a typical day. And Shrek is a perfect example because you had to wear prosthetic makeup as well. For someone who goes to see a production at any theater in this town. Mm-hmm. Explain what a day in the life of an actor is. What is a day in the life for Steve Crambeck when he is in rehearsals and when he is in a show? It's, it's very much the same for rehearsals and show. So, you know, you get up, you have your morning routine, you, you put in your eight hour work day. And so then I, uh, we have uh, a daycare attached to my work, and so be it Anna or Ellie, my seven-year-old or my two-year-old. Yeah, obviously Anna wasn't seven at the time, but I would pick up my daughter, and I would drive home, and I would start to make dinner, and Debbie would bring the other daughter home from wherever, and I would have dinner and leave right away, drive to the theater, be there before the call time, because if you're on time, you're late. You know, take the time to get ready and and get into the costume. Call is always an hour before the show. Sometimes it's faster to get ready, so you can kind of decompress from the days, get your mental state ready for the show. Sometimes you're spending that entire time wiring up to be a human candle or putting on all the pads to be a farting ogre, and then it's like... The show starts and the show's immediately over, right? It's just a whirlwind of energy and performing and you, you put all your energy and heart into it and it's just over so fast. Time does not move nearly as fast as it does when I'm in a show. And then oh, the show's over and I'm, I'm starting to feel the exhaustion of the day and I have to not fall asleep driving home. And I get home and I, I kiss my, all my sleeping girls because Debbie has... Now she does not wait up for me anymore. I don't want her to. So I kiss all my sleeping girls and crawl right into bed. Do it all the next day. But goddamn, I love it. I, I, I heard and a long time to, ago. I don't know who said it, but they said to me, you know, you don't do theater because you want to. You do theater because you have to. And I, I have felt that. Going back to college, I went into the College of ISNT but it took just one semester for me to feel that missing hole in my life. And so a lot of the theater majors were surprised to learn that I was not a major because I lived in that theater department. I was in that green room all the time. Anytime I didn't have tech classes, I was over there. Vince and Vince Carlson and Sarah Brown 
were walking through the hallways as I was looking at the call board and they were like, oh, hey, are you new? And I was like, oh, not, not really. You know, I'm just kind of looking around because I missed theater. So I was just wandering around to see what the building even looked like. And they're like, oh, there's an audition tonight. You should show up. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have anything prepared. And they're like, oh, we see that look in your eye. You should show up. Oh, it'll be great. It'll be great. And I showed up and I did the speech from Braveheart. The Will- I am William Wallace, and I see before me all these students in support of theater. I, I like pulled it out of my butt, and I sounded like an idiot. And Vince tells me to this day, he's like, I thought you were so hardcore with your spikes on your hoodie and, and your, you know, your, your shredded jeans. Like, you looked so awesome. And then you did your audition, and I thought, who the hell is this idiot? <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was bad. But I did get cast in a as a security guard. So sometimes bad auditions, if you show enough passion, you can still get in. Let's talk for a few minutes before we get back to theater. Oh, sure. How you met Debbie through a very good friend of yours, through Nick. Through Nick, Nick Sedina. How long had you known Debbie before it started to be more than just, hey, I think I want to go out with my best friend's sister? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my introduction to Debbie was actually in the video game World of Warcraft. We each had our own separate characters and we would group up together and, you know, it's like, oh, that character is Nick's sister. Okay. Oh, wow. They're, they're bad at the game. So uh, what, you know, whatever. Love you, honey. And then it, I hadn't met her, but you know, I knew Nick, so they had roomed together for a while. I was in their apartment when she was in her room and just didn't come out. So like we were so like orbiting each other, but not actually meeting each other until uh, Nick's engagement party for him and Erica Hall. And I walk in and she's wearing this very tight Orlando Bloom shirt. And I was like, who is that? And they're like that. Oh, that's my sister. That's Debbie. And I was like, your sister is gorgeous who is oh my gosh and so i struck up a conversation i got to know her a little bit i had to pump the brakes because she was dating a guy at the time but then eventually that relationship ended and ours began and will never end and she is an actress in her own right that's right that's right she needs to get out on stage more often she does she does i uh, directed debbie a long time ago and was very very fun was that Mountain Birds? Was no, that? it was uh, Ping Pong Diplomacy. Oh, wow. Even longer. Even longer. Yes. 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 I'm ancient. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. So I didn't say that. That's all right. I saw you. I think the first thing I saw you in was Poseidon. Oh, an upside down adventure. At, at the, the Blue, Blue Barn. Barn. Yeah. The old Blue Barn. The old Blue Barn. Exactly. Me and Nick did that show. Yeah. Don Harris and Jonathan Wilhoft and (laughs) Therese Reynolds. You know, and Jonathan Wilhoff to this day, I still think the, when he walked out on stage, I'm like, oh my God, he, he is like Gene Hackman. He is his (laughs) doppelganger. He really was. He really was. You have two beautiful daughters and they're not old enough yet, but there has to be like, some coolness factor to the fact that their dad was Shrek. Their dad was Lumiere. I mean, Lumiere had a bigger influence, right? Disney over DreamWorks. Like, I don't know. Shrek has 
for for the people who experienced the movies when they came out, right? Shrek is still very much you know in their minds. But like Anna didn't know anything about Shrek. Ellie okay. is obviously too young. Right, Ellie's too young. Anna really enjoyed it when I did the producers. You know, I would rehearse in the car, and she thought I was singing the song "That Face" to her. And so it was just the sweetest thing. She would just get this sweet smile on her face when I'd sing it. Oh, I loved it. But she didn't really get it at that time. But Lumiere was was pretty special. I think that's going to be the role that she'll remember going forward. And it is cool. She, you know, we bring her into rehearsal, the Omaha Playhouse. Oh, I didn't turn my phone off. How? Ah, for shame. I'm also on call, so forgive me. Bring her, bring her into rehearsal, and she kind of sees the process warming up, and and the playhouse is is so welcoming to families. You know, Kimberly is always just like, yeah, bring them in, that's fine. And when she's there, she's like, Anna, come help me with this or that. And Anna loves it. She is a little mini me, so I think I think we've got another little actor on our hands. She was absolutely incredible when I asked her to just do that. That little tiny cameo in the tag video <laughs> yes. a couple years ago. And uh, and then you told me, like because she had to be all serious, that you tell me afterwards that she like held her breath yeah. so that she would so that she would look all serious. No one told her that. No, she just did, she it. Just did it on her own. And she's like, I dad, what did she? She's like, Dad, I don't I don't know if I can continue to hold my breath that long. <laughs> and we didn't know until after the fact when she was so she was so good. I'm like, she has got those acting genes. She does. She is dramatic for sure. And uh, also she made it on stage for Mamma Mia. She was the young Sophie. They wrote in like a little young part in there and, and it was her and five other girls. So she was uh, on the community theater boards long before I ever was. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about your process as an actor and how how you approach a role when you're cast. How you dice, you know, how you dissect a role, and is it much? You mainly do musicals. It's true. I'm a glutton for musical theater, and I just, you know, because I have a day job. Um, and because this is a, a hobby for me, I like the light. I like the fun. I don't, I've done some serious, uh, projects in the past and, and some of them were fulfilling and some of them were, were more, you know, not as fulfilling. And I just remember thinking, man, I wish I had done, you know, this musical that was happening. I, I just, I need, and, and with all the negativity in the, in the world, it, it just helps me deal with the stress of my job, the stress of my life to just kind of have that fun release. So yes, I do mostly musical theater. And, uh, so the process, gosh, you know, I don't know. I, I always try and approach things just from a, a point of honesty. So when you're, when you're reading the script, you really you, I have to identify with where that character is coming from. I have to buy in to what their motivations are. So it's figuring out what those motivations are if they're not spelled out. It's, it's, it's really internalizing, you know, what, what that character is thinking. And, and, okay, so they reacted this way. I would never react this way. Why are they reacting this way? Oh, it's because of this. Okay, they believe this. And, and you know, you kind of get on their side. If it's a, a bad character or a, you know, not very savory character, you got to kind of dig into... And, and really internalize it just because 
if I don't believe it, they're not going to believe it. So that's just kind of how I approach it. And that, that comes after, you know, weeks of rehearsal, right? You kind of have an idea, you talk it over with the director and, and you slowly get there. Talk to me about the experience of A Christmas Carol. I was talking with Emily McCrisky the other night and she had mentioned, of course, because she was Mrs. Cratchit. Was she one yeah. of your Mrs. Cratchits? Of course she was. <laughs> course she, was she was my only repeat Miss Cratchit. Okay. She was the only one to come back. Yeah. I had chased all the others away. <laughs> it's funny because I think we we all talked about that. Everyone who does theater, I mean, like A Christmas Carol has to be like a rite of passage. I think at some point yeah. in your life you have to do it. Now, I've never done it at the Playhouse, but I mean, I have done it, but not at, not at the Playhouse. But I think, you know, it's just, it's a rite of passage. How many years were you Bob Cratchit? I did Bob Cratchit seven times. From Jerry's first year, 2006, up through 2009. Man, it doesn't seem possible that Jerry Lange has been Ebenezer Scrooge for 12 years 12 already. 12 years. It seems Isn't that like amazing? yesterday. Yeah, it seems like yesterday that he that that Dick Boyd stopped doing that and Jerry started. <laughs> but wow, okay, yep. And I remember when the year Dick Boyd did his 500th performance, that was a big deal. Yeah, I, and that wasn't even his last year, I don't think. But so yeah, anyway, but so going back 2006 so, to 2009, and then I took three years off because those were the years that Dan Chevalier and Bland did it, and then I came back for. Oh, maybe it was only six times. I came back twice more. Uh, once when I thought it was Carl and Susie's last year, and then the next year when it really was, was Carl, Carl and Susie's, Susie's last, last year. year. So how many Mrs. Cratchits have you had? Okay, so you so you ran all of them off. So then how many times was, can you name them all? Of course I can. Uh, Emily Pecklow was my first one. I remember just being so impressed with her. This, this green, you know, actor, never... I had never seen A Christmas Carol before, and here she is summoning tears in rehearsal. I just remember being like, what am I a part of? Holy cow, I got to step my game up. So Emily Pecklow, my redheaded firecracker of a first Mrs. Cratchit. The second year, I believe, was Deborah Conley, I think. I think she has changed. She's since gotten married. And then the third year was Denise... Cheval or was the third year Kathy? Denise Chevalier was one of them. And I Well thankfully Denise and Dan weren't Mr. and Mrs. Cratchit considering their brother and sister. So that was So third year must have been Kathy Hirsch. Because because the fourth year it was Denise, because then the next year Denise kept doing it after I had dropped out and then Dan had auditioned for Bob. And so they're like, Well, we can't have brother and sister be so so it must have gone Kathy and then Denise. And then Emily McCrisky two times. So yeah. The mix of the family is is always so fun and so funny sometimes. You know, my my first year, I I just loved that family. It was so nice. I was this young, single, lonely dude, and, and here I get this family thrust upon me and I just I knew I wanted a family after that. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so lovely and so wonderful. But of course it is, right? It's an idealized family. Right. So, you know, uh, I just, they they will always forever be special. And then, you know, you get the other years where, you know, it's it's me and Deb and we've got 
such diverse family, right? We had we've had uh, an Indian Martha and and uh, a Peter that looks like an ox who could just you know look like he could lift up every other child and break them. Like just the diversity of the family has just been so wonderful to experience all those different years, and not everyone gets that. That's one of the nice things. You can have that diversity. Yeah. You know, that is something very special. And, and with Christmas Carol, it's such a great message anyway of unity and spirit. So to promote that by having a diverse cast, I think is. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it's the way to go. Talk to me about the producers and your good time you had with Jim McCain. I had such a great time with Jim McCain. Oh man, we constantly would would thank each other for for being there for one another. It was it was a lot of hard work. We stayed after a long time, uh, a lot of focus on oh man, those lines, especially for for Jim, all of Bialystok's rants and whatnot. That was hard. Did you did you get a chance to see the non-musical, the original movie with Zero Mustel? I did. And, and like, you know, I also watched Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane part of it. And, you know, a lot of times with roles, I, I didn't watch it during the process, right? Because I, I don't like to be influenced by that. You know, I don't want to go up there and do someone, you know, I want to, I want to have that honest reaction to the material. And if it, if it happens to be like someone else's performance, then that's cool. Or if I know of a performance, I'll throw in little tiny homages or whatever, but I didn't, I didn't watch it during, during the process. The Candy Project. Oh, The Candy Project. (laughs) Talk to me about Gutenberg, the musical. I love that show. That is probably the most favorite thing I've done here. It's a two-man show all about Johann Gutenberg and the false history of the inventing of the printing press and uh, these two guys are it are basically pitching their idea for this musical, hopefully to have a, a Broadway producer pick it up. And it's just me and Dan Chevalier. We had we wore different hats to show the different characters, and we had uh, hat choreography that we had to figure out. We one scene we strung them all up on a like a, a clothesline and did a kick line. Like oh my gosh, it was so fun. And that was done over at the uh, at the pizza shop. PS Collective, uh, that's PS right. PS Collective over in Benson. Was that the smallest stage you'd ever appeared on? Yeah. Yes, I would say so, because it wasn't really like a theater, you know? It's a, it's a small stage for a live band. And so, for sure, that was the most minimal thing, I think, besides that classroom forever ago, right? Obviously, when you have something like that and you don't have sets... You know, it's just a couple of chairs, and like you said, a clothesline and some hats. Mm-hmm. And comparing that to big productions on, you know, a big proscenium stage where you have the money to put into those things, you really do have to focus a lot more than on character. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, sure. Gutenberg was special, though, because that was the... That was the conceit of the show, right? It's the bare bones minimum. Like even the script says there's a box with the word press on it, right? You know, so we're referring to a box as a press and then we turn it and it's like wagon, right? So it's like, that's kind of the conceit of that minimalist show. And so 
I always wonder if they do it at like the Blue Barn or, you know, in the Howard Drew of the Playhouse, like how that would transfer because it worked so well being in this bar pizza shop. Like, of, yes, this is totally where these two idiots would try and sell their show with a box and, and a slice of pizza. You know, I think when it comes to staging things like that, I mean, that's where a good play reading committee producer can pick a show for you know for the space oh sure you, know, you can either it, it, kathy's always been really wonderful at picking the right show for the candy project well they're they're non-standard theater spaces right and i tell you what if you i would press you to find a harder working producer marketer in this town than kathy hirsch man she's just wonderful she's so on top of things if you can work with her do it because she is amazing. She's her attention to detail, her management, you know, how she selects the the pieces that she decides to do. It's just, it's all so well thought out and wonderfully done. I agree. Yeah, that show would not work in, you know, in in I mean on it, the on the main stage right, of the playhouse. No, wouldn't. no way. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, and I don't even know if it would necessarily would work on in the Howard Drew. You know, I I sure. think it's I think it has to be something you, know, you would much have to, more, much more intimate. You would have to turn the Drew into like a diner, right, or exactly. a pizza shop or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Which, exactly. which is totally possible, Kimber- it, Kimberly. It's totally possible <laughs> to do that. It is. They've made it into a bar. Yes, they did. Murder Ballad. It was totally a bar. Exactly. You could sit in the back. That was awesome. That was so cool. Let's talk about Murder Ballad. No, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, we could. I mean, you know, your co-star from Shrek was in that. That's exactly right. My and my good friend Leanne was in it. John Jones. Are you friends Tom with Jer- Leanne? I'm very good friends with Leanne. Okay, whatever. I did. <laughs> I did Just Legally kidding. Blonde the musical with her back in 2010. I think it was. Wow, that was a good show. I Thank liked, you. Yeah, we. we I had like a, Legally Blonde. We had a lot of fun. I didn't remember you were in it. Some. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. I wore a terrible wig. So I, I looked different. Maybe that's why I didn't remember. Yeah. I mean, you did read from my bio that I was in it just not 20 minutes ago. But who, who's, who's counting? <laughs> did you get an award for that one? I don't think so. That's probably why I don't remember you. Oh, that's true. Yeah, sure. We only remember the award roles. Well, I, didn't I, get, did. I didn't get an award for uh, Gutenberg. That's like my number one thing. Dan did, though. I, you Dan know, I think, I, I think the reason why I remember Gutenberg so much is because I... Because of I Dan? Was a, no, because I was involved <laughs> that one night in that audience participation, like right at the end. Yeah, were you one of our producers? I was oh, one of the I producers. <laughs> that was the coolest thing. We would get, so it built into the show is that the uh, a plant producer stands up and is like, Bud, Doug, I am going to invest in your show. And we're all like, oh, oh my, oh, oh my gosh, right? And really? they put on their own producer hat and they hand us like a contract. And we got all sorts of people to do that. Susie did it for us once. Susie Bear Collins did it for us once. I don't even remember who all we had. So see, there's there's my mistake. I forgot that you were one of our producers. <laughs> Believe me, it, it's not a mistake. <laughs> That's right. Why would you remember? Why would you remember that I was in it? <laughs> or in it? I wasn't even in it. Why would you remember that I like had a cameo in it? That's all right. I mean, I can't remember I what that- I had for lunch yesterday. Let alone I wasn't that you know great five of- years ago. I know it. I wasn't that great of a producer. So about Legally Blonde though is, yeah. is that was such a great experience that the friendships have have carried on like i didn't know 
uh, Leanne before then. I didn't know Angie Jensen Fry before then. I didn't know Jody Vaccaro. I didn't know Paul Hansen. But these are these are friendships that I have carried on since 2010. That's it's kind of rare, you know. You you make your friendships during the show, and you express, oh, you know, let's not lose this. Let's keep together. But then you're doing another project. They're doing another project, right? And and your time is called for away from each other and you don't always get that time to reconnect but with that cast like we have we still get together with our significant others and we Mm -hmm. do new years and we do game nights and it's it's pretty special that is one of the you know and i think that's something else that that people who aren't involved in theater you know on a regular basis or who are just casual you know they go to the theater to be entertained Mm -hmm. i don't think they realize what you just said you know the tightness it it's it's you become you spend so much time together it's a second family and then sunday through friday four five hours every day right and then you know and then and that you know rehearsals and then you do the show so when it's all said and done you've spent probably i mean especially if it's a musical probably what you've got probably eight weeks of rehearsal. Yeah. Over 200 hours together. Right. And then, you know, and then the performances and when it's at the playhouse, I mean, that's, you know, it's a four week run or a six week run, four days a week. So you're like, somewhere between 16 and 24 performances. And then it's like they get raptured and, poof they're gone and then all of a sudden these people aren't in your life anymore because they're going on to the very next show right exactly and And maybe you're you're not and maybe you're not or but you know and it's always that like the most depressing moment is the monday after a show closes see for me it's 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 the the wednesday it's either the wednesday or the thursday of the next performance for me, when it's the Thursday because the next when Wednesday, body, when your body has to, it, <laughs> yes. your body is like going through withdrawal because your body wants to go there, and you're like, but but body, we don't have to go right. there anymore. For me, though, the Wednesday is always the relief day. The Wednesday after a close, where well, if it's if it's main stage, if it's the Drew, it's Thursday, right? But the first night you're supposed to be called, you're like. Oh, I don't have to go. <laughs> and then the very next day you're like, I don't have to go. <laughs> or or you sit there and I go. I feel so alone. <laughs> or you sit there and go, oh my God, did I miss my call? <laughs> yes. I feel like I need to be somewhere right now. Exactly. It's so unnerving. And we all go through that withdrawal and it's hard to quantify it. That's but why it, you audition to get out, get out there again. When I was talking with Camille Matoyer-Moten, we I brought up ragtime because the Playhouse is doing ragtime. Yeah. Now, and she was in the, and she was in the first. She was Sarah Brown Eyes. Oh, I just hit the mic. Sorry. Right. Yeah. She was the, yeah. the first one. And. She's such a beautiful person, that Camille. I love Camille. Who doesn't love Camille? I'm going to punch whoever doesn't love that woman because how could you? Shout out to Camille. Shout out. And she talked about how that cast still gets together. (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah. They, that show is sacred to that cast. Yes. It was such a profound experience for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. And some shows you get that, some shows you don't. That's okay. Which role would you say or roles are on your bucket list? What's still out there to conquer that Steve Cranback would love to conquer? 
I don't know how to answer that. I I haven't been a student of theater for all that long. Even when I was doing shows in high school and, and college, I I wasn't like, what's on Broadway right now? You know, who what are the amazing shows that are happening? I would see the season and I would read about those shows and I'd be like, oh, maybe there's a part for me in this. Maybe there's a part for me. Like when I did Fiddler on the Roof at OCP, I, I had never seen it before. And I, I get that a lot where I I don't know this show. So I show up at auditions and I, I do these cold readings, not really knowing what the show is. And sometimes that's to my detriment. Sometimes I can bring something new that the director didn't see. So I'll, I'll be brought in. But like, I, I don't, I don't know. After being Leo Bloom, in the producers, Max Bialystock would be fun to do. Is there any role that, that you walked in and you did, and then afterwards you're like, okay, well, if I had known about this show, it probably would have been a bucket list role. I know that's a weird thing to say. Yeah. When And the reason why I say that is because when I did Arturo Ui mm-hmm. down at the Blue Barn, had no idea. And I love that role so much that I'm yeah. like, well, this is a bucket list role, and I didn't know I needed the bucket. You know, I mean, <laughs> sure. it was like, it was such an experience that I'm like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's a bucket roll. But you find out after the fact. Sure. Gutenberg. Is, is like there the, anyone the, that was so, that was, there was like when the experience was done, you were like, man, that is one, it's going to take a long time for me to get over. Gutenberg was like that. Lumiere was like that. Shrek was like that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really, I don't really have my eye pretty much on the horizon, right? Because I think, and that's, that's like a privilege. I consider that a privilege, right? I'm not, you know, I, I don't have to plan out seasons, right? I get to wait to see what's happening in town and I get to choose what I might like to participate and I get to show up and say, do you want me? Yes or no? Like that's, that's kind of a privilege uh, in a sense. So I'm sure... Some other time I'll be able to come up with something, but right now I can't think of a bucket list role. Let's talk, you know, just for a second about your your newest one coming up here. So, One Man, Two Governors. One Man, Two Governors. When does that open? I don't know. <laughs> That's how wonderful I am. Uh, it's like... Rehearsals start at the end of February, right? Rehearsals start at the end of February, and I think we open... So it'll probably be sometime in April. April. I think our... The first week of May is our final performance weekend. And who are you in that? I am uh, Francis Henshaw. I am the one man okay. stuck between two governors. And who are your two governors? My two governors, Chris Shanka, uh, is playing uh, Mr. Stanley Stubbers. And he is the boyfriend of my other governor, Kathy Hirsch, who is dressed up as her dead brother who the other governor murdered anyway it's it's quite the the tangled web but you get to watch me be an idiot as i try to be a servant to these two masters which is what it's based off of (laughs) and just be and follow along with me as i stumble my way through trying to not have one learn about the other and it's not a musical it's not a musical. But it has music in it. It is a play with music. I think I have a I, I think I have a xylophone solo in it and then I get to sing a song at the end. I hope you don't get nervous about having to sing. I know it'll be a it'll be a stretch. Mm-hmm. It'll be mm-hmm. a real stretch. It will be. 
You need to find like a show that you and your wife and your kids can do. It's true. Sound of music. Oh, see, here's the thing. Debbie uh, does not sing in front of people. Does she play guitar? No. She can't be Maria. I know. Maybe Liesl? That'd be weird. That would be weird. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll skip that then. At one point, Anthony King was going to write a musical or a play for me and Debbie, and that never happened. So, um, Anthony, I haven't forgotten mm-hmm. that you said that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> As I've done with my other previous guests, I'm stealing. Oh. I'm stealing from James Lipton, and oh. inside the actor's studio, and I have, I have some questions to ask you. Oh boy! What sound or noise do you love? The giggles of my daughters when I tickle them. What profession, other than your own, would you not like to attempt? Garbage man. Good answer. The unsung heroes of our society. If you couldn't live in Omaha, where would you like to live? Any place warm. <laughs> Especially now. Debbie's Especially sister now. lives in Hawaii, so I would love to live in Hawaii. Who is a character from history that you admire? And I say character, I guess I should say person. Alexander Hamilton. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Hamilton's easy, but he cheated on his wife. That's that's not a very admirable trait. It's hard because history is written by the victors and often colored favorably to them. So do I really know them? No. Do you have a favorite color? It's either blue or green on any given day. What color are Debbie's eyes? They are hazel is how she describes it. What historical figures do you most despise? Tyrants. Despots. People who have the power to do good and choose to do the extreme opposite. What is your dream of happiness? If anyone has ever seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, there's a scene at the end where she is on a beach, which is told to us as uh, Pensacola, Florida, but it's these bright white sands and these palm trees swaying in the warm breeze but instead of bright sky it is a dark starscape like this beach is just floating throughout the galaxy is that the scotch talking no that's truth steve cranbeck thanks for stopping by thank you five Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyoufivepod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five. Thank you, five.